blessed Sabbath to everyone. We are getting closer to Passover, so we can feel it in the air, this reflection that we do this time of year and preparing for the spring holy day season. The spring holy days are important to us in several ways, mainly, of course, what they represent, but also from the fact that we've come through an incredibly long period of drought, if you will, and darkness through this, these winter months, the, the holidays of this world going back to October and so forth, but the holidays of this world. And so we come into the spring holy days very excited to be renewed in our covenant with Christ to be renewed in our relationship and strengthened in our relationship with the Father and reflecting on all those beautiful things that they have done in our lives. Truly, our existence and our salvation is in Christ. For the first scripture today pertaining to the subject, and I hope to help us to comprehend the a little bit closer the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ in this covenantal bond that we have there. And it is a very important bond without which we would be floundering, if you will, in the wind. We would not have the covering. We would not have the protection that we need. So the person that we are, the person that we have become, is a direct result of that relationship that we have with Christ. The perfection that we are aspiring to is a direct relationship with our connection to Christ. Even access to God the Father is important to that connection to Christ, without which we cannot have that connection. Now, Lyle last night gave the foundational aspect of this relationship that I'm going to build upon today. And if you think of it that way, I think uh, it was very inspiring inspirational that God, he gave the message he gave last night. And I was saying to myself, I'm, I'm sure there will be some scriptures there left for me because the Bible is pretty extensive. So starting in the first Corinthians 15, first Corinthians 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 35. First Corinthians 15 and verse 35. And he says, nevertheless, someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Now, the resurrection is the, the goal for all of us, eternal life with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be in the kingdom as flesh and blood. We understand that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So in order to be raised with Christ, to be a resurrected member of God's family, some very important things have to occur. And they're described very clearly in our relationship with Christ and what this, what this crucifixion means in our life and our bonding to him within it. So he says in verse 36, Fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that is true. Green seed does not grow. It has to be a dead seed. And as it is, as you plant that seed or sow that seed, the body that comes up or the thing that, that 
sprouts, if you will, is not the same body. Verse 38 says that God gives it a body according to his will, and to each of the seeds, its own body. So he, he goes on to, and gives an exhaustive explanation of how we are, when we die, we're buried and we're raised in the kingdom of God in the resurrection, a totally different body. Turn with me to John 12. In John 12, he speaks a little bit more on this topic. So John 12, and we're going to start in verse 24. John 12, verse 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. You know, we understand that, that we all must die. And God has designed it so. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The one who loves his life shall lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. So yes, we were made physical. And the transformation from this physical to spirit requires our death and change. In some instances, it may be where you'll fall asleep and put in the greenery for some years, as we know. In other instances, as those who are alive at his coming, it would be at the twinkling of an eye. So let's go on here to verse 25. The one who loves his life again shall lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If anyone will serve me, Christ is saying, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, him shall my father honor. And we, brethren, believe this with all of our heart, soul, and being. This is our hope in the promises of God and the things that the Father in Jesus Christ has put before us as promises assured in the blood of Christ. Now, Paul, again, had a very good understanding of this relationship. And I like Paul's writings from that perspective. He is explaining a truth to a people with not traditionally had a relationship with God. So he has definitely had to start with milk in almost every case until he could get to the meat in explaining that this wonderful gospel of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of Christ, and all of those things that make life worth living, to understand God's plan, to understand God's truth. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Let's look at a truth that he revealed to us there. In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us, and he was reminding the brethren in his day. He says, and we remember, again, we don't dwell on our past, but we don't leave the mirror and forget what manner of men we were. We understand that we are a product of salvation. We are a product of salvation, and Jesus Christ's sacrifice is what makes that possible. So we go to Ephesians 2, verse 1. Now you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you walked in times past according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working within the children of disobedience. 
among whom also, among whom also, we all once had our conduct in the lust of our flesh. Yes, this flesh as it is, is subject to the law of sin and death. And by nature, here is the way we were, doing the things willed by the flesh, by the mind. In whatever degree of sin it was, as Michael Heiss has said in previous sermons, all sin must be repented of. All sin must be repented of. Doing the things willed by the flesh and by the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest of the world. We have this theme that is a part of this time of year. A little leaven leavens the whole lot. And then in verse 4, he gives hope. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loves, loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. For you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace. He goes on to show that he has raised us up together. It has caused us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. This is hinting at a more deeper aspect of our relationship, and that is our access. So that in the ages that are coming, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yes, the entire world will see the product of God's work in our lives. They will see that. And this indeed, brethren, is bountiful riches that we receive from God. He describes here the dead, unclean body that we existed in. Right? Because God sees us a little bit different now. Turn with me to Colossians 2. Let's look at a couple of more scriptures in Colossians 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 9 here. Colossians 2, verse 9. He says, For in him, that is, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principalities and power, in whom you have also been circumcised with the circumcision not made by hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism by which you have also been raised with him through the inner working of God, who raised him from the dead. So here's an operation that is very important to our covenantal relationship with God. In verse 13, he says, For you who were once dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has now made alive with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. He has blotted out the note of debt against us with the decrees of our sins. Yes, 
there is a debt associated with sin. The soul that sins shall die. And we're not just talking about the physical death there. The soul that sin sent unrepented shall die. He says, which was contrary to us, the decrees of, I'm sorry, of the noted against us with the decrees of our sins, which was contrary to us. We didn't have a whole lot to do with it in terms of the power of it, but we must accept it. Of course, must choose in faith to accept it and be a part of it. So contrary to us, he has taken it away. He has taken it away and nailed it to the crumbs. And what is being referred to here in, to here in this verse does not in any way mean that the commandments of God were nailed to the cross. No, not, we're not going to sit back and let Christ do all the work and we just ride on in as lazy bombs, so to speak, spiritually. The phrase, note of debt against us with the decrees of our sin, means that the note of debt or the listing of our sins against God, that is what it is. They're listed. They're, you're engraved with, engraved with the pen of a diamond, if you will. What is it going to take to get that out? He goes on. It expounds upon this in a way that our sins and the debt of our sins were nailed to the cross when Christ was crucified and died. And it is at this point that our sins were resolved, if you will, with the solution. So upon true repentance of sins to God the Father, Jesus Christ blots out, blots out that note of debt through the remission of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, the cleansing of us from those sins. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for us. And he paid the penalty in our stead. He was nailed to the cross as a sin offering, brethren, for the sins of not just us, but for the entirety of his creation, the entire world. The note of debt of our sins through that is represented in our faith in them. The note of debt of our sins was symbolically nailed to the cross, not the commandments of God. They stand forever. We have a blessed calling, a blessed opportunity by grace where the Father has given us this chance. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, before we go on too far, too much further. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So then he says, this is Paul again speaking, I declare and testify this in the Lord that you are no longer to walk even as the rest of the Gentiles are walking in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, not having an understanding, not having this grace to comprehend these truths and to see this way which is from God, at large, the Gentile nations were cut off. 
because of the hardness of their hearts. God gave them over to these things. It is important to remember that their state is a product of their choosing. They have cast off all feelings and have given themselves up to licentiousness to work every uncleanness with insatiable desire. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him according to the truth in Jesus, we have this grace imparted to us. We have this relationship inscribed in our hearts and in our minds, this truth inscribed in our hearts and our minds. And then we understand that we have to change. So he says in verse 22, concerning your formal conduct, you put off the old man. The old man has to go, which is corrupt according to the two deceitful lusts. And that you, all of us, brethren, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spring holy days tell us and remind us that it's an ongoing process. Getting rid of sin is continuous, it's daily. The symbols, the foot washing, the bread and the wine are continuously daily available to us. We take in Christ every single day. So yes, we were dead in our sins. And this was the state that we were in, the state of the dead. But this is not the death, as it were. The death will be needed here. A sacrifice sufficient enough to be accepted by the Father is payment in full. Yes, repentance is required. We need to recognize the unrighteousness of sin. And we need to repent and come to the Father and confess our sins through Christ, accepting that blood as payment. Yes. But the other aspect of it, important to eternal life, is not within our powers. See, we, in the righteousness that we bring, represents a heart committed to God, showing God that we desire to be acceptable before him, but we recognize that we're in this fleshly frame. But if we are standing there with our hearts committed to him, committed to this way that we see his truth. And we are reaching out to God, stretching our hands forward to find him, to discover where he is and where we need to be. But brethren, all of our efforts will not be sufficient to justify us before God unto eternal life. That has to be given as we'll see as we go for a little bit further in. But we can't drag the old man along with us. Everything, as it were, in the flesh must be destroyed in the watery grave, must be left in the watery grave, as Lyle explained last night to a great degree. Our sins demands justice for our souls. The soul that sins shall die. God inspired the prophet Ezekiel, if you'll turn there, Ezekiel 18, to write. Let's go to Ezekiel and see what in Ezekiel 18, 
in verse 4. Ezekiel writes, he says, Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the Father, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son, they are mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. So there's the law. Sin demands justice. Yes, let's look here uh, just a little bit further. He says in verse 5, but, it, but a man who is righteous and does that which is lawful and right and has not eaten on the mountain nor has lifted up his eyes to, to the idols of the house of Israel nor has defiled his neighbor's wife nor has come near a ministering ministry woman and has not oppressed any man, but has given the debtor's pledge back to him, has robbed, has robbed none, has robbed none by violence, has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with garments. He does not lend at usury, nor has taken any increase. He has, with, he has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, has executed true justice between man and man has walked in my statutes and has kept my ordinances to deal rightly. He is righteous. He shall surely live, says the Lord. But brethren, there is a process. Verse 10, and if he beget a son who is a robber, who sheds blood, and who does, who does the like of any of those things. In other words, in the opposite end, there's a different result. But there there is a solution here. We understand that every man, woman, and child ever born to man has an obligation to obey God. Obedience in the flesh is required. It doesn't earn salvation, and we understand that. And that obedience and righteous life is what all of us embrace and live in. God's Spirit makes sure of it. If we're yielding to it, it tells us if we're going too far to the right or too far to the left, if we are associating too deeply into darkness, the spirit of God pricks our heart and our mind. And we know that we're getting too close to those boundaries, if you will, away from the light, away from the righteousness of God, getting into the knowledge of the good and evil, which is from ourselves, having then turning our back away or not having enough time into God's word to recognize that he is the standard for which we draw what is right and what is wrong. So we need to stay close to God in that. And so this is the relationship that we have. We have this condition, yes, in this body of sin. We have this condition of sin in which we are under the death sentence and the death sentence is over us. We are convicted of sin, sold as a slave under sin. So what's the solution? Let's go to Romans 7. Romans 7. In Romans 7 and verse 12. 
Therefore the law is indeed holy and the commandments holy and righteous and good. Now then did that which is good become death for me, may it never be. But sin, in order that it might truly be exposed to sin in me by that which is good, was working out death, so that by means of the commandments, sin might become exceedingly sinful. The purpose of God's commandments is simple. They are an indicator of sin. They define what sin is. They have no power other than to detect or to define sin. They have no power other than to define what sin is. And if a man should walk in them, the results are positive because the law is it's good, it's right, and it produces good and right things. Salvation is a different matter, though. Salvation is a different matter. In verse, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, having been sold as a slave under sin. Because what I am working out, myself I do not know, for what I do not desire to do, this I do. Moreover, what I hate, this is what I do. The law of sin and death is at work. Verse 16, but if I'm doing what I do not desire to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Yes, I see that this is sinful and it must be repented of and overcome. And I have a relationship with the Savior who makes it possible. He is going to ensure that the victory is ours. He's going to work with us. He's going to guide us. He's going to keep us. He's going to teach us. And we're going to strive and we're going to fight and we're going to do. Yes, we are going through our homes right now in anticipation of the days of unleavened bread, looking for sin, getting it out. And that's what we're supposed to do every day of our life within our own lives, within our own house. Get it out. In verse 17, so then he says, I'm no longer working it out myself, whether it is sin that is within me, because I fully understand, he said. I fully understand that there is not dwelling in me, within me, that is, within my fleshly being, any good. For the desire to do good is present within me. Yes, it is. We all have it there. The Spirit of God grows within us. It pushes us to righteousness away from sin in every respect. But how to work it out, that which is good? I don't know how to do it, brethren. Not alone. I'm not depending upon Albert's savvy. I'm not depending upon Albert's wisdom. I'm not depending upon Albert's strength. Hence, the Passover, and what it represents in our life. But the good that I do, verse 19, the good that I desire to do, I'm not doing. But the evil that I desire to do, this is, this I'm doing. But if I do what I do not desire to do, and this is the human state again, I'm no longer working it out myself, but sin that is dwelling within me. Consequently, he says, I find a law in my memory that when I desire to do good, evil is present with me. Brethren, we are in the flesh. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man. But I see another law working within my memory, warring against the law 
of my mind, leading me captive to the law of sin that is within my own members. He concludes, O wretched man, I am. This is our state, brethren. So the question is asked here by Paul, who shall save me from the body of this death? Who shall save me? And he answers it. I thank God for his salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, on the one hand, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But on the other hand, with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. But God has a greater and a more powerful remedy. Paul is describing the state of man and the need for Christ. And once we have him, we have the solution. Yes, the problem is sin. And the solution is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So, brethren, not only does light come, but power. God is coming to us to bring us to him. Us first as the first fruits, yes. Each and every one of us was called of the Father, by the Father. Let's turn to John 1, the Gospel of John. And let's go to verse 42. John 1, Gospel of John, and 1 and verse 42. Here he is calling his disciples. He says, First, he found his own brothers. This is the calling of Andrew, the brother, verse 41. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard this from John and followed him. First, he found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And this is a treasure. This is a pearl of great price, if you will, in this discovery and this grace that God has shed upon him, this selection. So Christ said he came to save and not to judge. Let's go to Luke, Luke 2, Gospel of Luke. And Luke 2, and let's pick it up in verse 8. Here is the pronouncement of, of him to the shepherds who were tending the sheep on the night of his birth. Verse 8, now there were shepherds in, in the same country who were dwelling in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood by them and the Lord and the glory of the Lord shined around about them and they were seized with great fear. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I am announcing to you glad tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. So brethren, the birth of the Savior. Yes, an incredible event announced and heralded by angels. A Savior is coming to the world. Yes, for today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is Christ the Lord. And this is the incredible truth that we sometimes overlook. Don't let the 
holidays of this world trip us up. His birth was glorious. His birth was announced with great heralding and gifts and shouts and anticipation. Jesus Christ, our one hope, our one hope is Christ. In 1 Timothy 2, let's go to 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1 through 6. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 6. Paul here says, I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. And we preach the gospel to the world, brethren, as a witness to all nations. We pray for the leadership in the world so that they don't annihilate the planet. We pray that right and wise choices are made so the gospel can be preached and that within our own nations and within our own communities, things are being done that won't hinder the gospel of Christ, nor our lives so that we can lead peaceful lives. Yes, this is our prayer. So we, he goes on to expound in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable before God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's plan covers all humankind. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for us, the testimony of which is to be preached in its appointed times. And brethren, this is one of those appointed times. This is the season that we are renewing and rediscovering, if you will, if this relationship that we have with him. This is one of those times, the season of Passover. So think about it. We have the witness, not just from the angels pronouncing the glory of his coming, his first coming, the apostles, as well as eyewitnesses, not just angels and the apostles and the prophets, but we have the father himself giving witness of his son. In first John five, in first John five, and let's pick it up in verse one. Let's read a little bit about this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ has been begotten of God. And everyone who loves him, who begat, also loves him who has been begotten by him. By the standard, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Yes, that's our obligation. This is our way of life. This is who we are because this is the way we were meant to be from creation, to be in compliance with the laws, the statutes, the judgments of God, not our own thinking, not our, not the ways of this world, not the influences of Satan. Here in verse, verse five, who is the one who overcomes the world? Even the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Verse six, this is he who came by water in blood, Jesus the Christ, not by water only, but by water in blood. And it is the spirit 
that bears witness because the spirit is the truth. The spirit is the truth. So we have the truth given uh, given to us through understanding made possible by the spirit of God. For verse eight, for there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three witness unto one truth, brethren. If we accept the witness of men, the witness of God is superior. But this is the witness of God, which he has witnessed concerning his son. This is what the father said, brethren. This is what was heard by the apostles. He says, the one who believes in the son of God has witnessed in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he does not believe in the witness that God has witnessed concerning his son. And this is the witness that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the son has eternal life. The one who does not have the son does not have eternal life. These things I've written to you because you who believe in the name of the son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Our calling from God is an incredible blessing and God has extended it to us and we have accepted it. And now we're walking in it. We're in covenant with it. We have pledged our life that this way is true and no other. That this is of God, not of man. So we have the Father and we have the Son. And Paul shows in Galatians 3, he shows in Galatians 3, picking it up in verse 26, he says, because you are all offspring of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yes, that we are the sons of God is an incredible reality and realization. The very sons and daughters of God begotten of him. So let's look at some some types of this, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. Now, I do not wish you to be ignorant of this, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate that same spiritual meat. And they all drank of that same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3. In 1 Peter 3 verses 18 through 22. He he reads here because Christ indeed once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, 
so that he might bring us to God. On the one hand, he was put to death in the flesh. And on the other hand, he was made alive by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, which disobeyed in a past time when once the long-suffering of God was waiting and the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water and all the remaining souls on earth died. The soul that sins shall die. But eight souls were saved here through water. In verse 21, and of which a like fulfillment is baptism and is now saving us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, brethren, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe that he is the Messiah. We believe that his life, death, and resurrection gives us eternal life. Verse 22 says, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been put in subjection to him. All authority, all power belongs to him. So what is our relationship with God, brethren? What is our relationship with God? We've received the spirit within us of transformation. The spirit of transformation is within us. It was given to us. The father is changing us through his son. Let's take a look at that at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. It says here, for the love of Christ compels us because we have thus concluded that if one died for all, then all died. Yes, Christ died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them and was raised again. So here is this life now that we live because we are co-joined in his death is that we are alive now, symbolically represented from the submersion on the water at baptism and the coming up out of the water to newness in life, a new purpose, a new focus, a new reality for us is now in Christ, with Christ alongside he and the Father. So let's see, let's pick it up here again in verse 16, 15. And so, and he died for all so that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but to him who died for them and was raised again. So then, from this time forward, we know no man according to the flesh. The fleshly man is dead in the watery grave. But even if we know Christ in the flesh, as fleshly beings yet, we're not born spirit yet. Yet now we no longer know him. Accordingly, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We know him as it was that he came in the flesh. We believe that he came in the flesh, but we know that he is not any longer. He's not in the flesh now. He's resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father. We no longer know him accordingly. In verse 17, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The transformation has begun. The old things have passed away. They're dead. They were left in the watery grave. Don't look back, brethren, to see if you can see if there anything there that you can use. It is dead. It is destroyed in the watery grave. He says, behold, all things have become new. And all things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. The relationship that we have today is not with the world. Our allegiance is not with the world. Our allegiance is not with the systems of this world. And we're not given over to Satan and his pulls and his fancies to keep us in chains and darkness and death and misery. Our life is anew in Christ. Again, he's reconciling us. Verse 18, last half of that verse. How, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of re reconciliation, which is that God in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not impu um, impu imputing their trespasses to them, and he has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, brethren, are ambassadors for Christ and God, and as it were, is exhorting you through us. And this is the work of the ministry as Paul was describing it there. We beseech you on behalf of Christ. As we preach a sermon like I am today, it's on behalf of Christ, this message. He left in the word of God so it can be preached in a season. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Remain in that reconciled state with God. If God is calling you, respond to that calling. See what God is offering and extending to you. Look deeply into his word and know the truth. Ask God to give you that insight and understanding. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that righteousness that God sees when he sees us is the exact righteousness that he sees in Christ. He doesn't see you the sinner man or the sinner woman. He doesn't see you the imperfect soul struggling in the flesh. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ because your faith is in that blood. Your faith is in what he did for you. Jesus Christ is our hope. And our salvation, brethren. And this is a very important part of the message that I wanted to deliver in this time that I had. Let's take a look at Acts 2. Let's go to Acts. The book of Acts. And then chapter 2. And we'll pick it up here in verse 14. In verse 14, we read, Then Peter standing up, with the eleven, lifting up his voice, this is on Pentecost, spoke out unto them, men, Jews, and all those of you who inhabit Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words. Can you imagine that sermon? Can you imagine that day? This is the beginning of pouring out, if you will, of the Spirit of God, so that man, men and women would be able to see and understand coming out of darkness, coming out of chains, coming out of bondage, 
that is, spiritually. Verse 15, for these are not drunk, but drunken as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my servants and upon my handmaids will I pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And this pouring out of the Spirit again is a product of what Christ did for us. The fact that he is now at the right hand of the Father sending forth this power to those who God the Father has given him. And he says, I will show wonders in the heaven, verse 19, above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. He's not done yet. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So yes, this work began on that day and will culminate at his return. And the resurrected saints will be changed and the kingdom of God will be established upon the earth. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because, brethren, who else is there? What other name is there? of men by which we may be saved. There is no other. There is God the Father, and there is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So he goes on to say in verse 22, men, Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man sent forth to you by God, as demonstrated by works of power and wonders and signs which he performed, brother which God performed by him in your, in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, having been delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you have seized by law, lawless hands and have crucified and killed. But God has raised him up, having loosed the thrones of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God has caused him to be the hope and the life that we hope in. His resurrection is a part of that confirmation, that affirmation that our faith in him is not in vain. Verse 25, for David speaks concerning him, I foreknew the Lord before, the con before continually, for he's at my right hand, David says, so that I may, be, may not be moved. His strength is in the Lord, he seen. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also shall rest in hope. And David's flesh is resting in hope in the grave. For you will not leave my soul in the grave. Changing now to Christ. Into David, this is prophetic both of Christ and the flesh and David's hope. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And this is our hope, brethren, that yes, we will die. We will see corruption, 
we will decay and become nothing but bones and dust. But God will raise, a new, will give us a new body at the resurrection. He says, you did not make me to know the ways. He said, you did make me to know the ways of life. And so whereas, I apologize, but whereas we will see corruption, Christ did not. He did die, but he was raised on the third day. Men in verse, verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak to you freely concerning the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn to him in an oath that from the fruit of his loins, as concerning the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit upon his throne. He foresaw this and spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witness, we all are witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted by the right hand of God in heaven, where he is today, brethren, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, which I mentioned earlier, he is sending forth that power unto God's people. He has poured out this that you are now seeing and hearing. But David has not ascended unto the heaven, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I have made your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, I let all the house of Israel know with full assurance that God has made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior, brethren of the world. This same announcement that was given on the day of his birth. He has been made savior of the world. And so we rejoice in that, brethren. And so verse 37, here is where we are and we've all been there. Now, after hearing this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, each one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you yourselves shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God may call. And with many other words, he honestly testified and exhorted, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And it was perverse when Peter made the statement in that day. And brethren, it is perverse more than it has ever been before. The prophecies pertaining to the end times are coming to fruition. These times that we are living in are as it were in the days of Noah, as it were in the day in Sodom and Gomorrah, the sins are free ranged today. It seems there is no constraint. But here is where we are as they did in verse 41. Those who joyfully received this message were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added that day. Here's 3,000 souls the Father is called and is working with. And they, verse 42, as we do as the family of God, we come together as Sabbath services like we are today. 
and we find this time together in fellowship and love. And we do this very thing, verse 42, and they steadfastly continued in the teachings of the apostles, which were teaching from the old covenant by far, didn't have a New Testament in their time, teaching of the apostles and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is what they continue in, and this is where we are. We continue in the celebration of this calling that God has given us. Yes, he is the Lord, our God. He has told us who he is, and we are the are becoming like him, perfect as he is perfect. As uh, Matthew 5, uh, 48 tells us we are to be, and how? Is this achieved? The old self must die so that the new can live. The old self must die so that the new can live. If I can just take a minute or two more to cover three additional scriptures here. In Romans 6, in verse 1, in Romans 6, we are not to continue in the ways of the old man any longer. Verse 1, what then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. We who died to sin, how shall we live any longer therein? Our calling is out of that, brethren. We are called unto life with Christ. Verse, verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him. Let's, verse 3, or are you ignorant that we, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into the death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in the same way, brethren, we also should walk in newness of life. Today, we shall walk in newness of life in the spirit, in the kingdom of God, in that day, but today, because we're no longer in the flesh, we're no longer held captive by the flesh. We put that aside. The old man has died. We are raised in newness of life. And so that Jesus Christ, verse four, was raised from the dead by the glory of the father in the same way we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been conjoined together in the likeness of his death, so also shall we be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's our hope. Knowing this, that our old man was co-crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Because the one who has died to sin has been justified from sin. So the gift of life is through the justification given to those who have faith in Christ. We believe that his life, death, and resurrection gives us access and makes justification possible. Verse 8, for now if we die together with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having, died, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For when he died, he died unto sin once for all. But in that he lives unto God. In the same way also you should indeed reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is the state that we have in our relationship with God today. And this is uh, our walk with God, our hope in God, our trust in God. Jesus Christ tells us who he is. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. As it says in John, John 14, 6. He is the bread of life. John 6, 35. He is the light of the world. John 8, 12. His light is now in us, brethren. Now that he is with the Father in heaven. John 9, 5. The door, the access to the Father, that is what he represents for us. John 10 and verse 7. He is the resurrection. John eleven twenty five, The true vine that supplies us. John 15, 1. This indwelling that we have with Christ requires obedience. And this is why we rejoice in him. The sin that we have is exposed by the light that Christ brings into our life so that we can get rid of it. None of us has seen Christ or the Father, but we know them. We know them by the power in the indwelling of God that, it, that is in us, that God has given to us, that is the Holy Spirit. Our standing with God today is not the same as it was before we were called. Today, we are co-joined with Christ in life because we were co-joined with him in his death. 